Blog Talk Radio. In 1992, the Food and Drug Administration decided that genetically modified organisms were the functional equivalent of conventional foods. They arrived at this decision without testing GMOs for allergenicity, toxicity, antibiotic resistance, and functional characteristics. The aim of the feed industry is a trillion dollars of profits from royalties every year. And the aim is no farmer should have access to their own feed. The aim is every farmer should be forced into the market every year. All across our country, our people are becoming more and more conscious about the foods that they are eating and the foods that they are serving to their kids. And this is certainly true for genetically engineered foods. Americans have a right to know if their food is genetically engineered. Hello and welcome to Mad Science, the Genetic Crossroad. I am your host, Anna Kavanaugh, and I want to thank you for joining me for the broadcast tonight. From Double Helix to Double Standard. You know, from the time our society saw the industrialization of our food supply, corporations have continued to push the limits of minimizing costs to maximize profits. And although the practices and policies of the biotech industry and its GMOs make up a large part of this, in recent years there has been an ever-growing list of dangerous chemical additives being incorporated into our food supply. These same dangerous chemicals are outlawed with strict fines and consequences for their use in most all other countries. Why are U.S. consumers exposed to these toxic substances? And why are we not being told? How can such a double standard exist in the United States when countries worldwide deem these substances far too dangerous for their citizens to consume? Throughout this series, I have talked so much about the GM biotech industry and how it is a big piece in the overall continuum of the industrialization of agriculture around the world, taking foreign genes from one species and splicing them into another to bring about advantageous traits, or in a real sense, to bring about ownable GMO products that are used for building corporate profits. We have learned that GM foods are bad for us on many levels, and it is scientifically known that they can survive the digestive process and actually be absorbed into our system. They can cause changes to our existing DNA. They can introduce unknown allergens into our system. They can turn genes on or off unintentionally. And also, let's not forget the host of problems associated with the chemical pesticides that go along with them. And on top of this is the fact they are not required to be labeled. So consumers are left in the dark about which food products do contain them and to what degree. But we know that up to 80% of all grocery store products contain GMO. And that's very frightening. So GMOs, a bad thing, and the awareness of this fact is thankfully increasing around the world. But there is unfortunately a whole different aspect to the food industry that has either gone unnoticed or has been generally accepted, and that is the some 3,000 additives, enhancers, fillers, preservatives, and all the rest that are inserted into our food. And many of these are known to be toxic carcinogens outlawed by countries around the world yet are approved by the protective agencies here in the United States for use in this country. Approved by the protective agencies put in place to keep us safe, but they don't seem to be doing their job. 
Why is it that American citizens are kept in the dark about something as fundamental as what we're eating? Other countries have rejected GMOs, or they have at least required the labeling of them. And they have also outlawed many toxic food additives. And here's something incredibly disturbing. The mega international food companies supplying other countries with the same brands we have here in the United States. They conform to these countries' wishes by labeling containers with GMOs and by withholding cancer-causing food additives. Think about that. So why do food manufacturers do this for others, but not for American consumers? Why is there a double standard? Let's take a look at what's behind this. It begins with food science, and this is where all food additives or anything else dealing with food processing and packaging stems from. The Institute of Food Technologists defines food science as, quote, the discipline in which the engineering, biological, and physical sciences are used to study the nature of foods, the causes of deterioration, the principles underlying food processing, and the improvement of foods for the consuming public, end quote. So food scientists develop new food products, and they design processes to produce these foods. They decide how food will be packaged, which includes shelf life studies, along with microbiological and chemical testing. It is the food scientists that have been leaned on by mega corporations to figure out ways to maximize outputs with minimal cost. Food companies want their products to last longer on the shelf. They want them to look appetizing and be mass producible all while appealing to consumers as much as possible. And since all these things cannot be achieved by natural means, it's up to the food scientists to figure out how to engineer what corporations want by using chemicals, synthetic materials, or various raw resources. Now, if you're like most people, you've probably given up when it comes to looking at the ingredient labels for fast foods or in grocery stores. It is mandated by law that processed food products list nutritional and ingredient information. And so, in accordance to regulation, food manufacturers provide it. But the ingredients are often so difficult to pronounce, let alone decipher, nobody bothers to find out what they actually are. This works to the advantage of manufacturers because they know that most people are not knowledgeable of these chemicals and are not likely to investigate them to determine if they are acceptable, let alone safe, to eat. And if you're wondering why food companies add things to our food that are not necessarily safe or healthy, it all gets down to business decisions. For example, a food company may have a problem with too much foaming in their chicken nugget product and will potentially lose money on that product because of it. So the company chooses a chemical agent that reverses the foaming reaction and mixes it in. In the case of anti-foaming agents, silicone derivatives are often used. Now, silicone is a component of cosmetics and putty, but the decision to add chemicals to foods becomes much more complicated when there are several qualities a particular food product is trying to achieve. For example, anti-foaming, anti-caking, extended shelf life, colorings, thickening, and hence the longer lists of chemical ingredients we see on certain food labels. In order to stay competitive, food companies will add whatever they have to to address each of these factors to give their products the best chance to sell. And of course, the downside to it all is that business decisions for profit are given priority over what people are putting into their bodies. 
Let's look at the chemical azodicarbonamide. And I want to spell that for you. It's A-Z-O-D-I-C-A-R-B-O-N-A-M-I-D-E. Also known for short as ADA. Well, this is a popular foaming agent, which is used to give certain plastic products a light, buoyant, stretchy quality, such as in flip-flops or rubber mats. But this same chemical is used in over 500 different food products as a flour-bleaching agent and to make dough rise faster and be more elastic. So breads, bagels, pastries, pizza, tortillas, hamburger, and hot dog buns often contain this chemical. ADA is used in so many bread products, in fact, from grocery stores to fast food, that it is next to impossible to avoid. So how do these manufacturers justify putting it in our food if it is known to be linked to cancer, asthma, respiratory problems, and skin irritation? The most disturbing thing is this. This rubber chemical has been banned for use in foods by Europe, Australia, and several other countries. However, the United States FDA has deemed it safe for human consumption and allows up to 45 parts per million to be mixed into food products. Well, this is equivalent to approximately half of a teaspoon to a full tank of gas in your car. And that might not seem like much. But if you consider eating foods with this substance in it on a multi-daily basis over a period of several years, it adds up. And the long-term studies concerning its impact on human health are non-existent. Does any of this sound familiar? GMO foods are also banned in many countries, but not the U.S., and the FDA deems them generally recognized as safe, despite known adverse health problems and no long-term studies. The fast food chain Subway was called out for using ADA in all of their breads, and they have since pledged to remove it, which is a good thing, but they have not yet officially done so as of yet. They claim that due to public outcry, they are now experimenting with new breads that don't contain it. But it's not just Subway. Every other fast food chain having bread on the menu will likely have this ingredient embedded as well, and it's restaurants, and it's most of the bread that you buy at the grocery store. The bottom line is, this is not food by any definition. It is known to cause potentially bad health problems for consumers, and it is really completely unnecessary. It is said that ADA is an industrial chemical added to bread for nothing more than the convenience to industrial bakers. So chalk another one up there for big business. And since we're on the topic of breads and baking, another popular chemical additive is something called potassium bromate, or bromated flour. This is a flour enhancer that makes dough stronger and allows for better oven spring, higher rising, and faster mixing times. It's found in pizza dough and many other bread products. Great for industrial bakers, but not so much for the consumer. Potassium bromate is an oxidizing agent and has been demonstrated to induce tumors in the kidneys. It is known as a complete carcinogen. The other disturbing aspect to this chemical is that it is mutagenic, meaning it causes changes to the original genetic material of an organism. This is bad, bad stuff and is also banned in several other countries, but again, not here in the USA. Our FDA protective agency instead encourages bakers to voluntarily stop using it, but most of them haven't. If it is known to be this bad, shouldn't it be banned without question? The argument industrial bakers use is that it goes away during the baking process, 
However, if it is not baked at a high enough temperature for long enough, there will be residue. Considering the amount of industrial baking going on in this country, would you trust it? It might be a better idea to just look on the ingredient lists for potassium bromate or bromated flour and avoid products that contain them. And here's something else. Potassium benzoate. It sounds almost like potassium bromate, which is what we just talked about, but they are completely different compounds with different functions. Potassium benzoate is a chemical preservative found frequently in many consumables, from children's medicines to soft drinks. You may see it listed on a label as being in there to maintain freshness in a product. Well, it's not so bad by itself. However, when combined with sodium or vitamin C, which are two very common substances, it creates a chemical known as benzene, a serious cancer-causing agent. While European governments have banned the use of potassium benzoate in products such as pediatric medications, the U.S. has still failed to do so at this point. Now, one important thing to keep in mind is that chemical carcinogens don't typically cause immediate complications. They operate by silently accumulating in the body for years before erupting into visible forms of cancer. But by this time, it is usually in a more advanced state that is difficult to treat, if at all. Arguments are made all the time about a product being tested as safe and therefore can be consumed. But these tests rarely consider the long-term effects, the build-up effects of what these chemicals do to us. Unfortunately, this is the same logic used in the assessment of GMOs that are approved and commercialized for our consumption. Food preservatives like potassium benzoate are some of the most widely used industrial additives out there, and they have a lot of company. There are several chemical preservatives currently approved and in use by our food industry. These can either be mixed in as an ingredient or topically sprayed directly onto foods or their packaging. One of the most popular preservatives today is something called TBHQ, and I'm going to try to give you the pronunciation of, of the real deal. It's tertiary butyl hydroquinone, TBHQ, which is a form of butane, which is lighter fluid. It is used in foods to delay spoilage and therefore greatly extends the storage shelf life. Look for it in various fast foods, crisps, and crackers. It is also an ingredient in many pet food brands and in cosmetic products, varnish, resins, and lacquers. Consuming high doses between 1 and 4 grams of TBHQ can cause nausea, delirium, collapse, ringing in the ears, and vomiting. It is also known to lead to hyperactivity in children and can cause asthma and inflammatory allergic reactions. Long-term ingestion of TBHQ in laboratory animals have shown a tendency for them to develop stomach cancer. And, like potassium bromate, TBHQ is also mutagenic as it can damage DNA. And there's even more. Other widely used food preservatives are BHA and BHT, chemical cousins used specifically to prevent fats from going bad. BHA and BHT are used to preserve cereals, chewing gum, potato chips, but they're also used in cosmetics, pharmaceutical drugs, rubber and petroleum products, jet fuels, and embalming fluids. They are generally considered to be human carcinogens, as studies show they cause cancerous tumors in the four stomachs of lab rodents. It is also known that these agents can cause liver and kidney damage, behavioral problems, 
infertility, weakened immune system, birth defects, and should be avoided by infants, young children, pregnant women, and those sensitive to aspirin. These preservatives have been banned in England, Romania, Sweden, and Australia. But once again, the good old USA has no problem with subjecting Americans to them and allows them to be used in our food supply. Vitamin E actually performs the same function that BHA and BHT do and is much, much safer. The only reason vitamin E isn't used, though, is because it tends to break down at higher temperatures. Sodium nitrite is another preservative that tops the list of dangerous food additives. It is used mostly in processed meats like bacon, jerky, bologna, hot dogs, lunch meats, and more to prevent bacterial growth and decay. Experts say that sodium nitrite is a dangerous cancer-causing ingredient that has no place in the human food supply. Attempts were made to actually ban sodium nitrite in the 1970s, but they were preempted by the meat processing industry, which relies on the ingredient not only as a preservative, but a color fixer to make products look more visually appealing. It's known that sodium nitrite damages blood vessels, making arteries more likely to harden and narrow, leading to heart disease. And it also can affect the way your body uses sugar, making you more likely to develop diabetes. Now, in addition to the additives I've mentioned, food coloring is yet another item on the list of ingredients used everywhere in the food manufacturing industry. Food dyes are found in nearly everything we eat, but especially in processed foods like fruit snacks, candy, cookies, icing, sausage, juices, pops, cereals, and so on. There are nine dyes utilized in the U.S. today. They are blue, one and two, citrus, red, two, green, three, orange B, red 3, red 40, and yellow 5 and 6. Several of these are actually derived from petroleum and pose numerous health risks. Considering that over 15 million pounds of chemical dyes are mixed with our food every year, it should be of great concern to consumers. Some of the effects of dye consumption are hyperactivity in children, allergic reactions, and of course, cancer. The British government and European Union have taken actions that are virtually ending the use of dyes there. For example, in the UK, McDonald's strawberry sundaes get their color from fresh strawberries. But in the US, the color comes from red dye 40. Fanta orange soda coloring comes from pumpkins and carrot extract there. But here, it comes from red 40 and yellow number 6. Despite consistent independent studies showing detrimental effects of chemical dyes, Americans are still not given much in the way of healthy alternatives. Fanta orange soda coloring comes from pumpkins and carrot extract there. But here it comes from red 40 and yellow number 6. Despite consistent independent studies showing detrimental effects of chemical dyes, Americans are still not given much in the way of healthy alternatives. How did our food industry become so broken? The industrialization of food supplies has ushered in new methods and techniques to produce more and more and more. Efficiencies are higher in manufacturing and processing. But have we lost sight of what it's all about? Food should be valued as our nourishment and sustenance, not a chain of business opportunities that need to be capitalized on. And why the double standard existing for American consumers? The food industry has formulated safer, better products for other countries completely omitting and banning harmful ingredients. So why do they insist on selling chemical-packed versions here in the United States? Listen, I really want you to understand this. 
And I mentioned this a bit earlier in the show, but it is so important, I want to come back to it. Most chemical carcinogens don't typically cause immediate complications. They operate by silently accumulating in the body for years. They hide inside cells, clinging and embedding into healthy tissue in such a way that they are never expelled from the body during natural cleansing processes. All these additives, all these things I've been talking about, that's what I'm saying. That's what I want you to take away from this show. And as they slowly build up in the body through time, symptoms of illness may begin to surface. But these are usually disregarded, ignored, or misinterpreted as being trivial. It isn't until the carcinogen has grown into a cancerous mass that a critical flashpoint is reached, erupting into visible forms of cancer. And unfortunately, by the time it has revealed itself, it is usually in a more advanced state that is difficult, if not impossible, to treat. Now, arguments are made all the time about a product being tested as safe and therefore can be consumed. But these tests rarely consider the long-term effects, the build-up effects of what these chemicals do inside our bodies. With cancer being the second leading cause of death, it might be worth considering that the chemicals used in our food are not as safe as regulatory agencies purport. And this is the same logic used in the assessment of GMOs that are approved and commercialized for our consumption. No immediate health risks are seen, so they are deemed safe to eat. But just because no immediate health risks are seen doesn't mean they're not there because they are seen later. Tonight on this show, we have just barely scratched the surface of the multitudes of food additives used daily. There are hundreds more not mentioned here that are just as bad and maybe even worse. Yet we continue to turn a blind eye to the reality of the modern food industry. Most of us never think twice about what is really in our snacks, drinks, and favorite meals we have been consuming for years, even those that seem to be relatively healthy. Food additives have become so entrenched, it's difficult to avoid them, even in the many foods advertised as healthy. It is easy to believe we are living a healthy lifestyle by watching our calories, fat intake, and choosing food products labeled as natural and wholesome. But these are some of the worst culprits out there. We must be mindful that the battle being waged in the food industry is not only about GMOs and what is traditionally advertised as bad. There is a whole other side of the coin that we rarely talk about. And with our own government and food suppliers operating in a blatant double standard, it makes it all the more difficult. What will it take to change our food system for the better? Proactive awareness and sharing the information with others and eventually consumers banding together to say no. If we as consumers are not outraged by now, we certainly should be. So now we'll move on to a special segment of the show called The Listener's Voice, which is where folks out there have kindly taken the time to write into the website with their questions and comments, and to close each show of the program, I'll go through as many as I can. And up first, we have Lena. Lena writes in and says, Great show. You always have such great and interesting topics. GMOs are so bad, and it's such an important subject. Please keep up the great job on this show and bringing this news to people we need to know. I just have more of a comment than anything. How can companies like Monsanto stay in business? 
Other countries are refusing to receive imports from our farmers because of contamination issues. It's such a shame that our farmers are losing so much just because of the greed of one company. Well, hi, Lena. Thanks so much for writing in. It's always nice to hear encouragement from listeners, and I hope to continue sharing what I can, uh, as I hope you will with me. Um, first of all, let me just say, it's not just one company. It's several companies, uh, the six major ones. We would call the six kings, um, and really an entire industry. But yes, it is absolutely frustrating with agribusiness companies like Monsanto um, there are so many cases and lots we don't even hear about concerning non-GM crops that are contaminated and ruined for export. It's true that um, so many American farmers depend on exporting to make a living uh, and then a company interested only in their own agenda decides to bend the rules and take risks. Um, you may know that, that wheat is one of the biggest crops traded today, so to have countries like Japan, Korea, the Philippines, and others halt all imports is not a good thing for the United States. But oddly, our government doesn't seem to see it that way. Uh, so, you know, it's pretty tough. Thanks so much for writing into the show. And up next, we have uh, Jay Tomlinson, I think I said that right, uh, Jay writes in and says, I just wanted to thank you for putting this show on the air. We need some solid coverage on gene-modified food and any information from the FDA or USDA I don't trust at all for obvious reasons. I was wondering what you think about our government supporting GMOs and working together with Canada about GMOs. It seems to me they are collaborating, trying to snow the public and promoting it all as a save the world campaign. I'm just tired of issues getting intentionally blurred. Well, hi, Jay. Thanks so much for writing into the show with your comment question. Uh, it is all frustrating, isn't it? Especially when you feel you can't trust the sources we should be able to count on. Uh, and also, especially when we feel our own government isn't watching out for us. Uh, I'm sure you know this, but the U.S. is the largest GMO producer globally and therefore has a big financial interest in seeing them exported to other countries. So... Hand-in-hand uh, hand with this kind of thinking, it seems to work out that GMOs are just uh, deemed as safe across the board. I guess we could say that our government is uh, certainly pro-GMO, right? Um, but Canada is also one of the largest exporters of GMO, uh, canola, maize, and soy in the world. And it just so happens that Canada has also determined that GMOs are harmless and should be shared everywhere. Uh, as far as the U.S. and Canada collaborating specifically on a GMO agenda for the planet, you know, I, you know, who really knows? Um, you know, but there is there is definitely a push for biotechnology as the answer to feeding the world. But one thing is for sure: the common denominator for all of this is business. It is profit, and every health assessment or decision made about GMOs seems to be heavily in its favor, and always coming from countries whose economies uh, benefit most by it. So thanks again for writing into the show. And up next, uh, we have a question from APT65. Uh, APT writes in and says, Hi, I don't get how the sweetener aspartame is genetically modified. Is it made of DNA? I always thought it was just a chemical. Well, hello there, APT65. Thanks so much for writing in with your question. Well, the short of it is this. You're right, aspartame is just a chemical, but no, it is not made of DNA. However, the process of making it involves collecting the waste byproducts 
from genetically modified bacteria, which is made of DNA. It's, it's really pretty complex. But using this bacteria then introduces GM DNA into the aspartame mixture. Uh, and by the way, there is another way to make aspartame that doesn't use bacterial waste, uh, but it's not used commercially because it doesn't yield as much product. And since quantity is the name of the game, the obvious business decision is to stick with the GMO process of making it. Thanks so much for writing in. And with that, I've run out of time in this segment. If you would like your question or comment to be featured on the show, I would love to hear from you. Just pay a visit to the website at www.geneticcrossroadradio.com and follow the link to the listener's voice. Once there, just fill in the form and send me along your thoughts. I'll feature as many as I can during each broadcast. Your voice, it really does matter and will help make a difference in both the future of our food and our human health. This show is a conversation and that's where all change begins. So let's get talking. I also want to tell you about the Facebook page for the series. If you are enjoying the show and would like to participate in some more interactive communication, I would love for you to come give a like and join it at www.facebook.com slash Anna Kavanaugh, Mad Science, Genetic Crossroad. You can also follow the show on Twitter at GMO Mad Science. And I hope to see you there. Thank you for listening to Mad Science, the Genetic Crossroad. Please join me every Tuesday for more on GMO. On next week's show, that's Tuesday, April 8th, we'll continue our conversation with an episode named Insidious Exploits. Many nations in the world have become prey to the agribusiness industry as it engulfs more and more croplands around the globe. Developing countries in Africa, South America, and Asia are ripe for the picking. But how far will the push for profit and power go when it comes to the natural development of these vulnerable lands. As the corporate players of biotech and chemical agribusiness work to secure even bigger markets for themselves, what will be the ultimate impact to developing countries and ultimately to the rest of us? I hope you'll join me for next week's broadcast. If we destroy nature, surely nature will destroy us. For while we may hold dominion over nature, we do not possess its wisdom. Until next time, be well. Be healthy and be informed.